House Whipping HQ Podcast, episode 25. This, this, this is the House Whipping HQ Podcast. Yo, Jay, can we kick this old school? Let's do this. Yes, I love it. We are definitely here to flip house. Thank you to Paul Coliani for that incredible jingle jam here on the Housing HQ podcast. Paul runs a site at theoverwhelmedbrain.com and an incredible podcast, which helps you to live a stress-free life. And as we know in house flipping, that can be really important. So love what he has to share. Check him out overwhelmedbrain.com. Paul, you are the man. If anyone else thinks they got what it takes to mix it up here with me and Paul on the House Being HQ podcast, we challenge you to send over your stuff. Let's see what you got. And we'd love to feature you in an upcoming episode. So before we get into today's flip tip and finish off our incredible interview with High End Flipping with Will Bernard, I'd just like to take a moment and say thank you. You know, just moments ago, I went to my door. I heard the doorbell ring earlier, and there was a box of brownies. Uh, so I, I open it up. I see these brownies, and I have this card with a house upside down with my logo on it, House Being HQ logo on it. And there's an upside down house that says, this must be where all the magic happens. And I open it up, and it says, hey, Justin, this is a quick note of appreciation. I listen to your podcast while I'm walking in the mornings. I scour your website and blog for nuggets of real wisdom and experience. What I am most grateful for is you. Your optimistic, enthusiastic, humble, authentic spirit. Wow, that's a lot of good things. You're too kind. (laughs) Is as valuable as all the brilliant ideas you share. You encourage me to fail faster. You remind me that there is great abundance in the world. You inspire me to find fun and success for my family with sincere gratitude, Rodney. This is from Rodney Palmer. Then he's got... A picture of himself with like a volcano on top of his head saying, you blow my mind with your generosity. He has a picture of me saying, just get out there um, with my logo and my name. And then he has a picture of him holding on to someone screaming with a Tyrannosaurus Rex in the background, like out of the movie. uh, What was that movie? Dinosaurs a long time ago. Anyway, (laughs) where they all get eaten by dinosaurs. Anyway, it says, you help fight the fear of a bad deal. So anyway, thank you so much, Rodney Palmer from San Diego. Uh, Stuff like that. It just means a lot to me to know that, you know, this matters to someone. And, you know, Casey Cloud, the guy who Ryan Skull and I did a a bonus interview with, sends me and him both a $25 Amazon gift card and just all these things I didn't expect. We've got Rick Grimsley, also in San Diego, who hears that my wife is interested in learning how to fly out eventually become a pilot it's just kind of a dream of hers and sends me all this detailed information on what she can do to get started and just incredible the the kindness now i don't know if if you guys know i don't think i've ever mentioned it but oh about a month ago or so i received a pretty nasty voicemail and some pretty nasty comments on the site and i would like to pretend like I was, you know, tough about it and I've been in business for a long time and it didn't affect me. But to be honest, I mean, I'm actually pretty sensitive sometimes and it really took the wind out of my cells for a couple of days actually. I tried to brush it off like it didn't affect me at all, but it it really did. And, you know, just to get this kind of feedback and someone to take the time to do some of these things and not only that, but just all the great comments that I get from everybody on the site and on iTunes and the 
emails and just all the kind words and all the people who sign up for our mastermind program and even those of you who are just listening or just reading the blog. I mean, it just means the world to us. It really keeps us going. You know, just like you and your house flipping endeavors, you know, I have a bunch of naysayers. I've had people say, why are you doing? Why are you wasting your time? You can make a lot more money flipping houses, blah, blah, blah. And then you've got, you know, the naysayers and the, the haters and the critics. But, you know, I'm going to keep going. And just like you guys should do in your house flipping business. So, I mean, all those of you who are out there taking action and making things happen, even though you might be afraid or it might be new, you know, I actually really look up to you and, you know, I'm, I'm looking at you and thinking, hey, if all these guys, it reminds me of when I was new in my house flipping business and the other business ventures I've been in. And I think, you know, if you guys can do it, I can do it. So let's keep this thing rocking. Lots of great things to come here on House Wing HQ. Keep the comments going. I want to hear how you're doing. Let's just keep it rocking. And we got this, man. We got this. Don't listen to those guys. We got this. Okay, so before I you know, get going off too far into the deep end and making it sound like I'm accepting my uh, Emmy Award here, let's get on to today's flip tip. So I'm entitling today's flip tip, cutting through the clutter to hit the target and reach your goals. Yeah, it's kind of long, but I couldn't decide. I didn't want to take anything out. So, you know, we live in a world so loud and there's so many voices of distraction screaming from us at every angle on what to do. There's so much information out there. And in running a real estate business alone, there's so many things that we can focus our time on. And I can't tell you how many people who... I've met who have been looking into or learning about doing real estate for several years and have yet to really do anything. And why is this the case? It's because they have no focus. They have no plan. They're either chasing the shiny penny or always looking to learn more. You know, there's always more that they have to learn. They keep looking for that secret sauce or keep feeling like they need to go to that one more seminar or read one more book. When, you know, the reality is that they already know everything they need to know and they just need to get started. They just need to take action and start to gain that true real world, real life, real business experience that is absolutely critical if you're going to be successful in this business. So if you are going to be successful in real estate investing or in any other business, you really need to focus in on exactly what it is that you are trying to accomplish. So exactly what does this mean? Well, first off, you need to determine exactly what it is that you want to do. You have to know where you want to go before you can determine the route to get there. If you don't know where you want to go, you're going to spend a lot of time sightseeing and not really getting to any particular destination. So first thing you need to determine is where do you want to focus and what it is that you want to accomplish. Now, I'm going to make some assumptions here. Since you are listening to a house flipping podcast, I'm going to assume that you are interested in flipping houses and building a house flipping business. Okay, so let's start there. So with within your house flipping business, let's start off with some basic realistic goals. Let's say that within three months, you want to start bringing in an additional $10,000 in income, which if you know anything about housekeeping, you know that's a very realistic goal. Okay, great. So what will it take to make that happen? Well, I for one don't know of anyone who has made a profit in their housekeeping business without actually making offers on a house. I don't know anyone who's bought a house without making offers on a house. Now I'm sure I'll get some hecklers out there <laughs> thinking of ways you can profit without making offers. But for all intents and purposes, I think we can all agree that to make an income in house flipping, you need to start by making offers. Okay, so how many offers do you need to make? Well, that is going to vary depending on your location, your experience, your how you're marketing, hundreds of things. But let's say for all intents and purposes that you need to make 50 offers to purchase a home. Okay, so now we know you need to make offers. Okay, great. So what are the steps? I'm going to go through six steps that, in my opinion, it, you would want to know or take to make offers. Got to learn how to evaluate homes. Um, and we cover that a ton in the podcast and on my blogs. I'm not going to get into that too much, but you got to learn how to evaluate homes. You got to know what to offer before you can make an offer. So start up by getting educated in that area. It shouldn't take you more than a handful of hours, if that. 
then do some paper trading. Otherwise, look up properties that are for sale. Determine what they would be worth after they're sold. Decide what you think the repair costs would be. What are the other costs involved? And come up with what you think you would offer based off of the profit that you want to make after all those other expenses. And do that on about 50 houses. Then start making offers. Yes, I know it's scary, but if you have a uh, contingency period of an inspection period, then you're going to be okay. You know, you've already done some due diligence. You've already done some work. Start making offers. Fell forward fast. Learn what you don't know. And then you can come back to people like myself or people in your investment club or a mastermind group if you're a part of one. And you can learn from those people and, and ask their advice. But you're actually in there. You're actually doing it. If you haven't made an offer yet, you're not really in the club. You're not, I don't know, there's a difference. Once you make an offer, you're in the club. So you got to start actually making those offers. Maybe start off slow, but start making them. Then number four, once you get it under contract, you can either wholesale it or line up financing. Number five, either collect your check for your wholesale or finish the rehab and sell it for a profit. Number six, rinse, wash, and repeat. Okay, so you have your goal, you have your plan, you have the steps that it takes to get there. Now, we're talking about cutting through the clutter, right? And hitting the target to reach your true goals. So nowhere, anywhere in any of these steps do I mention anything about designing a fancy website or business cards. I don't give you a list of 20 books that you need to read. I don't talk about learning about notes or landlording or... Talking to 10 attorneys. Yes, I had someone recently email me saying, hey, I talked to this attorney and this accountant and they're telling me this. And my I'm like, you haven't even made an offer yet. What are you doing? And anyway, okay, sorry, going off on a tangent there. Um, I don't, don't say go to an asset protection class. I don't say listen to 100 hours of MSNBC or redesign your office. Yes, I know someone who wanted to redesign their office before doing anything. I don't talk to you about learning a ton about software or understanding 100% every detail about the rehab or getting your financing lined up. I don't tell you to go on Facebook for hours or watch a ton of TV. None of that is in here. The plan is very, very clear. Now, I'm not saying that doing anything else is bad. Of course, you should spend time with your family. And if you have a job, you should probably go there as well. I want you to enjoy yourself. I want you to have a little bit of fun. I'm not saying reading is bad. Reading is great. However, I see so many people feel like they are accomplishing their goal, their true goal, because they feel like I'm reading, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, when really they're only doing something that makes them feel comfortable because they know making offers is uncomfortable and scary. So you got to get out of your comfort zone. If you're feeling comfortable, you're probably not moving towards making your goals. So in summary... Learn how to analyze after repair value, learn how to estimate repairs, understand the costs involved, and determine the best way to start making offers and fail forward fast and connect with others along the way who can help you out. Do these things, start making those 50 offers per month, and you will reach your goal and learn more than you ever imagined, and you will be in the club. And on your way to financial freedom and wealth abundance through creating your house flipping business. Every once in a while when you're doing something that you think you're making progress on, but it's really not a part of your actual plan, make sure you make a mental note of it and get back on track and get going. Do the things that are actually going to make you money in this business. And someday when you have acquired all the wealth or financial freedom you want, then you can go back and... Do a bunch of those other things or do those things in your leisure time. But make sure you realize that is if that is not a part of your actual factual goal and your business plan, then you're just kind of sightseeing. You're just wandering around in circles and, uh, you know, you're just kind of getting some stuff done or feeling good about yourself. But you're not really accomplishing or re going towards accomplishing your true goals and achieving that true financial abundance and success that I imagine you are probably striving for. Now get out there and make it happen. I don't hear any more excuses. And that is your flip tip for today. Alrighty. Well, without 
any further ado, let's get back to the second part of our six-figure per deal uh, high-end house flipping with Will Bernard. So let's talk about the rehab. Um, Luxury homes are... You can't mess up a luxury home or you're in trouble, right? Yeah, you have to have the vision before you even get in there and you have to reach that vision and you've got to do it in as much of a timely fashion as you can. Now, granted, it does take a lot longer to do a three or $400,000 rehab as opposed to a 30 or 40, but you have to pay a ton, uh, special attention to those timeframes. So if I'm going to get into the higher end market, what are some things on the rehab that I have to, I mean, I can't just go in and do regular granite floor. I mean, just, I got to do something special, right? How do I make sure that I get those details right? Because can't you, my understanding is you can lose like, you know, half a million dollars if you just put in the wrong uh, fixture. If you put in the wrong finishes, then you're in trouble. Yeah, if you put in the wrong finishes in a house, you could be. So you have to have, um, not necessarily, you don't have to be a designer, but you have to put on a designer hat. And if that's not your forte, then you have to job it out just like anything else. If you don't know how to swing the hammer, hire somebody that knows how to swing that hammer. So with the design aspect, hire a designer. And that's, you know, we've done some high-end homes in Palm Springs area, some like mid-century modern homes. I don't know anything about a mid-century modern home, but... So people are like, well, how'd you do it? I'm like, well, yeah, we just, we got designers. We got people that knew what they were doing. They told us what it would cost. They told us what to do and we did it and it's gone great. So I assume you may do the similar thing if you need to. Yeah, I have on my uh, current uh, most recent project, I actually did hire a designer strictly for this house to give me uh, her input on everything in this house. And that was from opening up walls to this particular finish of this plumbing fixture to this exact garage door to what are we going to do with the exterior, you know, uh, elevation, et cetera, et cetera. So everything I'm taking a, a opinion on and, you know, I have my own touches as well, but I'm really following her. This is pretty much the first time I've ever done that. This particular house I have to pay special attention to because it is the design of this house and its location, what it is, a lot more difficult than anything else I've done. For example, my big one that I have on the market, it's a Spanish Mediterranean style house. Those to me are the most easiest things to finish and decorate. I know them all because you use the, the travertine, use high-end stuff, Caesar stones and marbles, all that stuff goes with that. The red tile roofs, it's pretty hard to, in my opinion, to F that up. Yeah. But in some of these other designs, it's a little more difficult. Now, uh, what was about a year and a half ago, I did one in Sherman Oaks that was overlooking the valley. And it was my first contemporary type of finish where I was using clean edges and a lot of whites and, and a lot more modern style yeah. looking stuff. And I did not use a designer on it, but I took, you know, I asked other people their opinions and I kind of put it together and I, I was pretty proud of it. It came out really good. For sure. For sure. You're a lot more hands-on in that regard than I am. I don't even look at my houses, so I would need a designer. <laughs> yeah. I am very hands-on. I'm one of those control freaks. As I have the belief that if you want it done right, you have to do it yourself. And it does hold true, but I do have to uh, let some of those reins go because there's no way to do everything. No. And there's some things that are – there's better use of my time, obviously. Yeah. So. But I do do a lot of the stuff that other people would probably poo-poo me on and say, you shouldn't be doing that. You you can find me in Lowe's and you can find me in some of these places because I'm picking out fixtures and finishes because I just have that. I've got my designer hat on. Yeah. See, I'm telling people, yeah, all the time, don't do that. But at the same time, I intentionally bring on guests who are successful and are all doing something different because I want my audience to see, hey, there's more than one ways to skin this cat. Right. right, But something that I want to point out to everybody, something you're doing is you're doing high end projects. So even our high end projects, we will, I don't go to Lowe's, but we spend more time and focus on those versus the houses that are just like the same thing. You know, 80% of the houses we do, it's just like conveyor belt, right? I'm not, I don't need to go for a two to $300,000 home. That's just the same as every other house in the neighborhood. I don't need to spend all that time on the detail. So on these higher end homes, you need to focus more on the details. So 
Right. Yeah. For your, your the lower stuff, you probably have your item code list from Lowe's and exactly. you say, oh, well, I need three cabinets for the bathrooms. So order these three item number so-and-so. And yeah, I have those. So yeah, yeah. you don't, you spend a lot less time in there. And in actuality, on the higher end homes, I'm not in Lowe's that much because I'm not buying cabinetry and those type of things or even uh, tile and stuff from Lowe's. I'm buying high end stuff because you can't use Lowe's crap to yeah. put in a $3 million house. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, there's everything's custom in the custom house. Okay. So I know you're hands on, but you're not swinging the hammer, right? You're not laying the carpet you're not painting the walls of course i'm not painting walls i'm not painting carpet um but you will find me carrying ceiling fan boxes into the house and unloading a truck and stuff like that you'll even see me carry some scrap stuff laying around that i think that the guy should have picked up and thrown in the dumpster i'll do it myself because i'm just anal about it yeah you take pride in it that's cool yeah so how do you hire your contractors how do you manage them let's talk a little bit about that well i have two main contracting crews. One of them is a company that is owned by my cousin. So I, I like to keep as much as I can in the family. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> my brother is a my project manager. So he's at the houses every single day and he's my second pair of eyes and ears. And um, my other contracting crew is where I used to live. My neighbor next door was a contractor and I, that's how I met him. And so we've been friends ever since, and he's been one of my rehab crews ever since. So he's my secondary crew. Yeah, it's cool to hear because I have people all the time asking, how do you find a good contractor? And it's like, they're just everywhere, right? I mean, you want to find someone who's good. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of bad ones, too. It's kind of like an agent. you know. There's some good and a lot of bad. But what would you recommend for someone who's just getting started out looking for a contractor? Well, some people will say, ask for referrals from other investors. But I got to say... If you have, if you're an investor and you have a good contractor, you ain't giving him up. So I'm not giving my guys up to anybody. Oh yeah, you Um, use them, right? And if you're not using them, it's different, but. Yeah, but even if you weren't and then all of a sudden you got a deal and you gave them to somebody else and now they're going to be slow getting yours and you've just hindered yourself. Well, it's like you giving me, Will, why don't you give me your private money lenders contact information, right? I mean, I'm going to call them up. It's almost like I had someone ask me for that the other day. Hey, can I get a private money lender? From you, I'm like, no, I use their money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why, why don't you just ask me for my wallet? Exactly. <laughs> so, okay, but so no, okay, go back to like, how can a new person like find a contractor? I mean, okay, you said not referrals, probably, but what well, is not it? referrals from other rehabbers, but possibly from some respected who you respect, real estate agents who have been in the business a long time. I like that. Because they sell houses, they likely know some good contracts. I would start there. Friends, family, just like you're looking for private lenders, some of them may have remodeled their house in some time. You know, ask them and then just talking to people and and meeting people. Get yourself out there. Maybe hang out where contractors hang out. Where do they hang out? Well, Lowe's and Home Depot in the morning would be a start, I guess. Um, I don't know if there's contractor conventions. I've never done that, but uh, maybe that's another place. Now, how do I make sure, what do I need from the contractor? Do they need to be insured and licensed or what are your thoughts? Um, I have two thoughts on that. Yes, you should have licensed, bonded and insured contractors. If you're using anyone who's unlicensed, uninsured, you're taking on a huge risk. If that contractor's in your house and slices off his finger... Uh, you're getting sued. And so you better not have any money. <laughs> yeah, you better not have any money and you're going to lose that house and any money you put in it probably because they're going to sue you and they're going to go after any of your assets and one of your assets is the house they got hurt on. Yeah. So, and your insurance policy, even if you have insurance, if you hired an unlicensed person, don't be surprised if that insurance company denies your claim because you were liable for not hiring a licensed contractor. Okay, interesting. So, what's your second school of thought? So school of thought is, yes, hire licensed, uh, bonded, and insured contractors. I do have some subs that I've used who are more like the handyman type, and they're not, uh, they don't have companies or licenses, but I'm very careful on that, and they're guys that have been with me for a lot of years, so yeah. I trust them, and I know that they know the protocol, and they know what to do, and they're working low-risk type of stuff. Okay. I think that's good advice. Like gardening and, and, and such is a good example. Yeah, I like that. 
All right. So managing the job, I mean, do you have a contract with these guys? Do you have expectations? How do you lay out the expectations? Do you walk through a scope of work from the beginning with them? How does that go down? Uh, every job is different and each contractor that I work with is different. So sometimes, well, all the time I'm going to walk that house and I'm going to have an itemized list of what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to walk that and have that. Then I'm going to, once I have it taken down, I'm going to walk with them and we're going to, I'm going to sell them. This is what I want. I want this wall move. I want brand new cabinetry here. We want tile, you name it, every itemized item. And then they're going to put that in writing and give me a number. And that number is, is because I've been doing this a long time, their number is going to come back pretty close to what I expected it to be. And when it's not, I'm going to beat them down as much as I can when I can. And uh, if it's lower than I expected, I'm going to say, oh, the, as if that price just stabbed me in the heart and I'm yeah. going to fight for it even more and make my spread even bigger. Yeah. But I'm going to do that. So then they're going to put everything in writing. And then I'm going to tell them, you have, how long is this going to take you? If he says it's going to be four months from start to finish, then I'm expecting it in four months. Now, one thing I do to protect that time frame is we have a penalty and a bonus. Nice. If they finish early, they have a per diem bonus. So if that per diem, let's say, is 300 bucks, every day they finish early, I'm giving them 300 bucks. Nice. Now, I'm not losing money because the way I figured out the per diem amount because I took all of my holding costs and I added it up and I said, what is that cost per day, including utilities and everything else? If it was $300 a day, then I'm basically breaking even on that credit. But I'm actually ahead because as they finish early and I sell it earlier, I now have increased my opportunity cost to get in the next deal quicker. That's cool. So I've actually yeah, like made that. And on the back end, if they're late, my holding costs are paid for and all I'm losing out on is opportunity I like that. So that's in a contract, written up contract. That is in the contract. Not all of them, but some of them. Yeah. Okay. So you do a contract for every every home. Every in home is on an individual basis. Absolutely. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Let's see. Have, okay. What have we missed? Um, okay. Regarding financing, you did. Let's go back to financing real quick before we get into selling. You talked about creative financing. Do you do any creative financing? Absolutely. My most recent purchase, I purchased the house for $2.7 and I got the owner to carry a $2 million first note at 6% interest. Let's talk about, on the podcast, I have yet to talk about seller financing. So how, how did that happen? Well, he wanted a, an exorbitant amount for his house on the MLS. I got him down. My offer was about a million four under his ask price, which is ridiculously low and I would never typically do that. But we knew that his ask price was astronomically high and that there was a good half million plus in room automatically. So I made the offer verbally uh, through the agents saying, here's what we're thinking about offering. They came back with another number. And as we went back and forth, I came up to where I felt was my highest price, which was about 2.6 million. I could not pay a, a penny more than that. And he would not get off his 2.7, just would not. And once you hit that standstill, I'm like, okay, I've got to get creative here. So I, I added up my financing costs from my uh, private money lenders at 12%. And I said, okay, if I can over a year's time save X amount of dollars by getting an interest rate at say 6%, then I can come up that $100,000. I'm ultimately spending the exact same amount spending 2.6 at 12% or 2.7 at 6%, mm -hmm. it, it was a wash for me. But it got him the money and I was able to convince him, not only are you making 2.7, but you're making even more because of the interest that you wouldn't have got on this by selling it without financing. And it's interesting how someone like that will look at that as, oh, that is extra money. You know, as to where an investor like you and I, it's like 6% interest, that's all. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We would poo-poo 6%. We're not even going to look at it. But, you know, if he's going to take that money uh, and it's going to sit in the bank, he's yep. not making 6% on it. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. Really quickly, explain what seller financing is and why somebody would maybe be interested in doing that for someone who's brand new and doesn't understand seller financing. Okay. So seller financing is basically when a seller is selling you the house and then also becoming the bank and they're going to carry back a note as the lender to you. It's going to be secured by the house they used to own that they're selling. 
Now, it can be in many different formats. If they owned it free and clear, then they would have a first trust deed against the house and the promissory note. If they have a mortgage on the property and they're selling it to you subject to the existing mortgage, then you're buying it sub two, but it's still what I would call seller financing because it was in place by the seller. Okay, yeah. Uh, a third way would be you come in with some financing to give them a larger down payment and then the seller carries back a second. So now they're going to be in second position junior to that first trustee mortgage with your, say, private lender. And then they are in second position. Okay. So why would I want to do seller financing? I have a free and clear house. You know, you want to offer me seller financing. I, what if I just want the cash? But why would someone maybe want to do that seller financing? A multitude of reasons. A, you can benefit via taxes. If you have a capital gains by selling your house and you get all of it right then, all that capital gains is captured in that one year, you can have a, a pretty high tax bill to Uncle Sam that year. Okay. If you do seller financing, you can split that up over two years, possibly longer, depending on how long the term of the note is. So that's a benefit. Two, you can often um, get a higher price for your house by offering seller financing. And three, you can get not just the price of your house, but also interest passive. Yep. So it's a passive income stream. And then the fourth thing is uh, motivation and desperation. If that's the only way I'm going to buy your house is I'm going to tell you, I'm only buying it if you'll carry back a note and you're desperate enough because, you know, your wife died six months ago. You're getting a job transfer to Atlanta and you've got to go and you can't wait for another buyer. Maybe you'll think about it. Yeah, for sure. And it's like you said, if you don't have anything to do with that money, why would you not want to do it? You know, why not? Right. Uh, unless that money could be put into something else. If you were, you know, um, if you had some other opportunity where you could get a higher rate, then of course, you know, you have the, the next best stock uh, investment. Well, sure. Yeah. Typically, those sellers aren't going to have such other avenues. So moving on to selling, before we talk about how you sell your retail homes, you mentioned something about wholesaling. You sometimes teach about wholesaling. Do you ever wholesale or you just teach other people how to wholesale so they can wholesale you houses? <laughs> <laughs> I have wholesaled uh, quite a few houses and I have never bought a wholesale house. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. The reason is, is because I've never had a wholesaler bring me a real deal. So that's always been an issue. Now I've sold wholesale deals and I think it's in large part because of my ability and expertise in being a rehab flipper that I knew exactly what numbers. And when I'm giving numbers out, they were true, accurate, and correct. Yeah. And so they, they weren't falsified or inflated, whether it be intentionally or non-intentionally. Like most wholesalers do. Like yeah, you, I, I think you're right. Intentionally or non-intentionally. The new guys, it's usually unintentional. The guys that have maybe like professional, I don't know if I want to call them professional, professional scammers or what. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Looking for the fresh meat they can rip off, but... Yeah, well, they don't, I don't think they see long term. They're looking for that quick, yeah, fast yeah. buck instead of a lifelong, you know, yeah. client. And I think that's cool. I blacklist any wholesaler who is off on their numbers, basically. It's like, I don't want to waste my time. Such a waste of time. But, you know, it's something that's interesting. And you'll know if you listen to some of my episodes recently, my number one way to buy houses is from wholesalers. And that used to not be the case at all. So it's it's just really interesting if you find those right relationships. It's only like two or three guys I'm buying from right now, but they can bring you so many houses and it works well for both of you because they've got a buyer they know is going to perform. And anyway, so you hold well, some, Justin, yeah. if, if I may, can I put on my podcast interviewer hat and interview you here? Yeah, please. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you a question. Of these wholesalers that are wholesaling you properties, are they getting these properties via direct marketing? Most of them, yes. Thank you. That answers my question because I figured that most of the wholesaling deals that I get are deals that are off the MLS that I've already seen. Half of them are at the MLS price or higher, which is yeah. ridiculous, yep. or they're 10 or 20 grand under. They've added no value. Your wholesalers are adding value because they're real wholesalers. They're direct marketing and they've got an arranged for a good deal. For sure. No, I hear you completely. Can I have your wholesalers? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'll trade you one private lender for two wholesalers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we could do some trading. <laughs> hey, but really, if 
if you do wholesale a house, uh, let me know. <laughs> yeah, I don't see that happening unless I get to direct marketing at this stage in the game. Before, when I was wholesaling, it was one of two reasons. Either A, I was out of means to fund it myself, yeah. or B, it was out of my areas. I had a couple of wholesales in San Diego area and Orange County and whatnot. Okay, cool. Those were the reasons I was wholesaling. Everything else I was keeping. Yeah. Now, even if I was out of private money, I'm good enough where I can find the money because find of my reputation. Yeah, for sure. So okay. I don't foresee me wholesaling uh, All too right. much. All right. Will's off the Christmas list. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I'm going to have to change my website and everything. <laughs> All right. Let's get into you know just selling. How do you sell these houses? Uh, very carefully. Very, yeah, very carefully. Uh, I use uh, real estate agents. Usually I have one main real estate agent who I've known since I was a kid. Um, and he's kind of like family to me and uh, I trust him. And he always gives me not falsified information or fluffed information, but he'll give me his opinion on how it really is. And he's not right every time, but I'll have a number in mind for an exit value, let's say. And before I even give him that number, I'll say, here's the property. What would we sell this for? And then he'll come back with a number. When those numbers match, I know we're probably good. If they're off, I figure out, okay, well, who's off and who's wrong and who's right? And then we kind of brainstorm from there. So I use him in that relationship. And then for all that work, he gets a majority of the back end of all my listings. Okay. And what percentage are you usually paying on these listings? Five. So you pay, a, to make it clear for everybody, you pay a total of five. So, Total of five, two and a half to the listing agent, two and a half to the buyer's agent. That's pretty good for a listing that you're giving to someone that's high end. Can I be your agent? Yeah. <laughs> that's it, not bad it at all. It is pretty good. But again, now I have a current project that I'm almost complete with. It's in Agora Hills. And I've had a buyer since almost day one. It's because my agent had a client who was interested in the house. And we showed it to him prior to even starting the rehab. We showed him one of my other houses. They like my finishes. So because it was pre-sold and I had that buyer locked and loaded, I actually gave her a full 6% nice. as a bonus knowing it because that's a huge weight off your shoulders knowing it's already sold. Oh, for sure. And I'm, I, you sound like you have the same mindset. I have no problem giving up a chunk of something to gain something bigger. And to have these agents be incredibly motivated and only want to work for you and do everything they can to get these houses sold. It, is worth it. So yeah, it's it goes back to that one key word that just keeps circling back in our business and its relationships. Yeah, I like that. So let's something I've never gone over. I realize someone like you and I just kind of brush over this, but I know there's a lot of people out there wanting to know what is that process like from the time you list the property, you get the buyer. What happens then? What happens from then until the time you close and, and get paid? So from the day you got a contract in hand that's signed and you opened escrow, that's going to start the process where the buyer is getting their inspections. So they're going to have the home inspection come in. So we're scheduling that. We're there for those home inspections. I don't know how many times where a buyer had their home inspector there and they're typically there with them. And I either do or don't know the home inspector, but we're going to follow them around. And if there's some piddly little thing like a loose thing here or a missing plate cover there or whatnot, I've got my guys standing by and we'll fix them as they go so that they won't even appear in that report. That's awesome. I never heard that before. I like that. Okay. So that's one of the items is the inspection. And then there's the appraisal. And that's the big ticket item as well. Yep. We're there every time for the appraisal. We're meeting the appraiser there. We are assisting them as best we can. <laughs> and by assisting them, I mean, we're going to provide them a list of comps that we pulled. They're legitimate comps. We're not trying to fluff it. Yeah. And we're not trying to say, hey, you don't know how to do your job. So we did it for you. I'm very, very careful on how I present that. And I tell them, look, here's, I know this area well. I don't know if you know this area, but I pulled some comps for your review. They're probably already on your list, but I just did them for your reference if you'd like. And I play that game. It's like you're on their team. You're doing yeah, them a favor. Yeah, exactly. I'm here to help. I'm here working with you. I'm not. Yeah, we're on the same team. So ultimately, we want to make sure that that price comes in at the price it should, which is what they offered. Is you know yeah. the house is worth what a willing buyer is able to pay, and 
we have a willing and able buyer, so why should your appraisal come in any lower? Especially if you have supporting comps. You know, and, exactly. Now, and, granted, yeah. we all know that the appraisal industry and these appraisers oh, have really man. been hindered by the rules and HVCC and everything. It, is, it just it sucks for them. And I use that to my advantage in that I bring that up. I say, man, it sucks this HVCC and, and how hamstring they've cut your guys' wages and it. And, you know, I sympathize with them. Yeah. And what that does is it builds an instantaneous and quick rapport. Yep. And I think that goes a long way. I think so, too. You're you're working with them. That's good. So, okay, after the appraisal. After the appraisal, uh, then it's the, you know, the funding of the loan for the most part. So it's upkeep with the maintenance, uh, the utilities, the lawn care, the pool care, so forth and so on. How do you get all that taken care of? Uh, well, I have a pool maintenance guy that does all my pools. So he's on every one of my pools every month. He comes once a week to each pool. My landscaper, again, once a week and mows all the lawns and, you know, edges and blows the leaves and keeps the house looking clean. Do those guys so, give you a discount since they're doing all your work? Yeah, I get these guys for pretty good prices. Absolutely. Very cool. And then from there, it's just, you know, closing day, wait, waiting for it to fund. There's not a whole lot left for you as a seller to do at that point. So, but going back to the inspection report, if they do have some inspection needs, they send those to you, correct? Right. And they're going to have a list of repairs and that's going to be accompanied by a request for repairs list. So of, let's say there's 25 items on their inspection. And of those 25 items, they've asked you to fix what they feel are the seven items that they need fixed if they're going to buy this house. You now respond to that with, I'm either going to fix them all, I'm going to fix none of them, or I'll fix these four and not these three, and, and so forth. And so you'll go back and forth and respond with that. Of the ones you are going to fix, you know, you get your crew on there and you fix them, and then they reinspect to make sure they were fixed, and then you're, you're clear to close, and it's just a matter of waiting for that lender to fund. So it's a lot of fun because it's like you already negotiated, and then you have to almost renegotiate when the inspection comes out, right? <laughs> Sometimes, and that's why we really work with the inspectors and... Yeah. You know, we try and say, and we tell them up front, and I make sure that my agents tell their agents up front, don't come back with some laundry list of crap and sure. don't ask for just, you know, stupid stuff because we're going to fix most of the little and stupid things anyways. Yeah. And we do take pride in, in what we sell you. We want you to be happy with your home. Yeah. I've had some people just make some ridiculous requests. Oh, man. And at those times, I say no to it. Well, I have a friend that just sold a, a very high-end home, like a 3 or $4 million house, and they had an, a forensic inspector come and came up with some ridiculous, like $60,000 worth of repairs. It's almost like paying someone to find things that aren't even real, you know? Right. So, yeah, it's kind of can get crazy. But, um, okay, so then you have funding, you, ha you, know, you have loan approval, then they fund... And then you can close like the same or the next day, right? Well, yeah, here in LA County, it's the next day. It's, you have funding day and then the recording day is the following day. Yeah, usually it's the next day. Every once in a while, you have an area that's like a special. You can do a Friday special or something. Yeah, like every that. once in a while in some counties, you can do a same day fund and record. But it's not as common here in California. Whereas in other states, they do it all in one day. It's all one process. That's a good point because we do have people listening in all 50 states. So I'm glad... Uh, we brought that up. And in other states, they use like attorneys, right? <laughs> yeah. Like in New York, New Jersey, they don't use escrow companies. They use attorneys or closing agents. So yep. yeah, absolutely. Next time I have someone in another state on the show, I'll have to uh, ask them about all that fun stuff. So yeah, it's, uh, I've dealt with it. I don't particularly like it. I prefer working with the escrow companies well over the attorneys. Interesting. I've never, I've never dealt with no one likes working with an attorney though, right? Exactly. <laughs> I just got this email from this guy. Don't ask me why he listens to my podcast, right? And then I'm going to give you another shout out, Ariel. This <laughs> so he listens to my podcast and um, then he's like, oh, I went and talked to these attorneys just to learn more. And he's like getting all freaked out and stuff. I'm like, an attorney is going to give you their opinion no matter what, but half the time they don't know what they're talking about. So if you're asking an attorney... What should you do in regards to flipping houses? Probably not going to love what you hear. So anyway, it's pretty. Yeah, and you're going to get a different answer from every attorney you talk to because that's an opinion. It's not really a fact. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty interesting. So, alrighty, wow, we've covered we've covered a lot. Um, 
any closing remarks? What advice would you give to anyone out there looking to get into the house flipping or wholesaling business? I would say number one, without a doubt, get educated in whichever strategy you intend to employ. If that's wholesaling, then definitely read my wholesaling thread on Bigger Pockets for awesome. sure. The truth about wholesaling. I would read books and do it right. This is a business. Whether you're a wholesaler, a rehabber, a buy and holder, you need to treat it as a business and you need to treat other people within your business who you're dealing with. It's business to business stuff, but it's personal as well. So you, you have to treat it like a business. So get educated and know your numbers, know your market. You're not going to do well in any investment strategy if you don't know your market, your, where it's going, where it's been, and where it is now. I love that you said it's a business because I see a lot of people, I think they just want to come in and start flipping houses. And, you know, sure, it's an incredible business that you can make money over a relatively short period of time, but it is a business and you do got to learn what you're doing, <laughs> you know, right, right. but you got to yeah, take action too. Not, if you treat it like a hobby, the results will be like a hobby. Yes. But you do need to take action as well. You can't. Um, just analysis, paralysis, information. You can't learn all the time. You got to get focused in. And Oh, absolutely. And part of that learning process is doing. Yeah. So if you have learned your market conditions and you've gone to Lowe's and you figured out what things cost, you now have to go and start going to REO properties and open houses and walk in houses and practice um, scheduling out your rehab for a house and do it 50 times, 100 times. The more you yeah. do it, the better it will be. Like go that. and do CMAs and run comps and analyze every single open house, whether you're going to buy it or not. Yeah. Just because you're going in there and you're talking to the list agent doesn't mean you have to buy it. For it doesn't sure. mean you have any intentions on buying it. You're strictly there to practice. So that life learning lessons is part of your education. And then again, like you said, you can't do analysis paralysis. Eventually you have to pull the trigger and that requires getting that one four letter monster off of your back and that's fear and there's a quote and i don't remember who it is but i love it and it, it is um the rich act in spite of fear while others allow fear to stop them and it bodes well and so true in, particularly in this industry there's so many fear factors a lot of people don't pull the trigger because of it i love that and i think a lot of people they fear losing money but you have to learn to differentiate what is going to lose you money and what you're just afraid of doing Right. Because there are some things that aren't going to lose you money. You're going to lose money if you actually take cash once you pay for the house, you know, or give somebody money. Sure. If you evaluate it wrong, you're going to lose, you could lose money. Uh, but yeah, it's important to differentiate those fears, I think. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that the education and knowing all the lingo and the education and getting comfortable with your market and doing all that practice, I think that will eliminate a lot of the fear. You're always going to be fearful on that first real offer that in that first deal. Of course, it's, there's always that fear factor, but you act in spite of that. But you can mitigate a lot of that fear by the education and by doing. I love what you said about, you know, the rich act in spite of that fear. You know, they just keep moving. I know if I am feeling extremely comfortable, I usually know I'm not progressing. I mean, that's why I started this podcast, right? It was uncomfortable. <laughs> it was yeah. It was hard for me to do stuff like this, like getting up and speaking in front of people, you know how you do and I do sometimes. And um, so anyway. All right, Will, will you hit it out of the park? Thank you so much for everything you shared. How can people connect with you? I know you mentioned you got your site, you mentioned go ahead. <laughs> I'll quit rambling. Well, yeah, there's investorexperts.com that um my company website is bernardenterprises.com. That's B-A-R-N-A-R-D enterprises spelled out in plural.com can always find me on bigger pockets was my favorite hangout the best real estate site in my opinion in the world um, i am a huge contributor on that site and i'm on there pretty much every day so yeah. that's the easiest way to find me uh, and i'm under there as will bernard very cool very cool all right will really appreciate it you have a great weekend and we will talk to you soon and you do the same thanks a lot for having me i had a good time take care Ah, uh, no problem. Okay, I'll see you. I love everything Will talked about. I think it's just amazing all the different ways you can do this business. If you got mind, mind spinning on, you know, we're doing some high end deals, but just the things that you can do with those properties and uh, you know mitigating risk and just 
ways to go about it. You know, not that anyone is exactly the same. I have my own way of doing my business, but just taking bits and pieces from other people's business and applying it to what I know and what I can do and how I can just keep growing and scaling my business. It's just pretty exciting stuff. So for any questions or comments, go to housefoopinghq.com slash episode 25. We've got all the links, all the show notes there, and you can leave any questions or comments you have for Will and I, and we will be happy to respond to those for you. For those of you who missed last night's webinar, we'll be doing another one February 13th. You can go to housefoopinghq.com slash webinar. I will talk all about my house flipping business, how you can create your own house flipping business. I give you a ton of resources. Uh, talk about our mastermind group and then we do a live Q&A and you can ask me anything you want live. So we've had a lot of fun with those. I think those who have been on the call, uh, the webinar have gotten a lot of value out of it. So go to housekeepinghq.com slash webinar to reserve your spot and we will see you then. And with that, we have come to the end of another episode of the Housefooping HQ podcast. Join us next time as I'm joined with Michael Quarles from yellowletters.com. Michael is an expert marketer, and we talk a ton about direct mail and how he runs his very robust house flipping business. And at the end of the second episode, he offers, I wasn't going to say it, but we're going to give away, he's going to give away a thousand yellow letters to somebody for leaving a comment of some kind. So I thought it was so generous for him to do that. But go ahead and check that out. Uh, you get a ton out of it. I was blown away. I just finished the interview today. So I'm still just on a high from everything we talked about. But anyway, have a great week. Keep those offers going. Keep the deals flowing. And we'll catch you on the flip side. This has been the House Flipping HQ Podcast. Your, your ultimate house flipping resource for intelligent real estate investing and financial freedom. Yo, Jay, can we kick this old school? Let's do this.